Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have a GDPS guru with us today, Stephen and Andy. Morning. So, Welcome to the show. Yeah. Gosh, thanks. thanks. So besides a rare four-letter acronym, <laughs> tell, tell us about GDPS. Okay. Uh, it gets a little bit complicated. Uh, well, we, we just talked with Mr. Brooks, uh, okay. Mr. Mark Brooks, about uh, cross-coupling facility. Right. He explained the cisplex and parallel cisplex. So, so consider so, this a follow-on. Okay. Yeah. Now, within a parallel cisplex, one of the design points is that we don't want any single point of failure, right? So we always want at least two of everything. So you want two LPARs on at least two KECs on any shell par. You want multiple kicks and multiple... Um, you always want to be able to get to the data, even if there's a single, if, if there's a loss of a single component. But one of the glaring uh, single points of failure, even in a perfectly configured parallel cisplex, is the disk. So if you only have one copy of the data and the disk goes down, doesn't matter how much other redundancy you have within the parallel cisplex, you're not going to be able to get to the data. So what GDPS does is it helps manage your disk mirroring configuration so that the disk is no longer a single point of failure. And is it just for disk or does it handle other stuff as well? It does handle other stuff. So in addition to just, uh, not just, in addition to uh, <laughs> monitoring and making the management of the disk uh, configuration easier, because at a very high level, you can tell whether your disk is actually, if all your disk is in sync or not, if you didn't have a a product like GDPS, you would need to issue all the individual commands against each mirrored volume to determine is that volume still in duplex. Right. So GDPS does that for you and then presents at a very high level an indication as to whether or not it is everything's okay. So one of the things you always want to see in GDPS is a green okay. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then you can drill down and then figure out which disk which within which LSS is giving you problems is no longer duplexed. But in addition to monitoring and managing the disk environment, GDPS also provides a scripting language so that um, an operator can execute a script that's pre-coded that allows the installation to take other actions either for planned or unplanned events. So, for example, uh, after an unplanned hyperswap – oh. I should back up. I didn't tell. I didn't say anything about hyperswap. We didn't even say what GDPS stands for yet. <laughs> oh, okay. You're gonna edit this out. Uh, sure. It used yeah, to, it used trust to stand doesn't. for geographically dispersed parallel cisplex. Oh, okay. However, uh, that's one flavor of GDPS. So there are different flavors of GDPS that are built on different disk mirroring technologies. Huh. So the flavor, for the most part, that we're talking about now uh, is now referred to as GDPS Metro. So just like uh, MVS, well, I still call it MVS because I'm old and great and senior. <laughs> uh, and we've gone through several rebrandings, so I should be saying ZOS or ZOS if mm -hmm. we're outside the U.S. Um, the disk mirroring has also gone through a rebranding. So the synchronous mirroring used to be called PPRC. So peer-to-peer -peer remote copy. Mm -hmm. But now they call it Metro, Metro Mirror. Mirror. And that's specifically to the synchronous mirroring. That's synchronous. Okay. And so so how oh, – I talked about uh, XCF. The focus was on performance. Okay. So how badly do you screw up performance with GDPS? 
We can't do anything about the speed of light. Uh, well, you know. Why not? You're a smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just, you know, push it along a little bit? So when you're doing synchronous disk replication, um, the impact to the IOs, it's only going to be for the writes. There's no impact for the read. But the writes, uh, let's say I'm starting in replication site one with my disk. So we call that um, server site. Oof, got it backwards. Server site is where the disk, where the kecks are, and then replication is where the disk is. Okay. You don't have to be in the same. Okay. So we're in site one, and we want to write over to site two. When we're doing peop when we're doing metro, the I/O is issued to the disk in site one. The disk itself, the DSAK, has physical connectivity from RS from RS one to RS two. Mm -hmm. So it's the box itself that takes care of the mirror. And the box, when it's a write, has to send that update over to RS2. The box in RS2 has to acknowledge that the write is complete there. It responds back to the box in RS1. Then that I.O. is reported back to the application as being complete. So the application knows that it's been written in two places. They've both responded back and said, yes, we've got it and we've written it. Whether you're mirroring or not is transparent to the tra application. All you know is that your I.O. to this RS1 is complete. Okay. You don't know under the covers that it was mirrored to RS2. Okay. That makes sense. So that's all transparent to you. Um, another thing that's transparent to you, right, when you go to do uh, I.O. Uh, to a data set, before you can use a data set, you need to allocate the data set and then open it. And under the covers, there are a bunch of control blocks that are created for you and, and your application has to use, right? Like the ACB, the DEB, and all that stuff. And I always forget which ones, but some of those control blocks... <laughs> Uh, for, from MVS's point of view, every device is represented by a UCB, so the unit control block. So when you, as an application programmer, open up a data set, some of the control blocks that are in your private storage have pointers or associations with the, the UCB. Now, we said before that the disk is a single point of failure within a parallel sysplex. Even though you're disk mirroring, like you have another copy, without something to help you, so let's say the RS1 craps out, if you didn't have anything else, your only recourse would be to stop all your applications, make the RS2 disk accessible, mm -hmm. because normally it's a PPRC secondary, and you can't bring that online. So you'd, ha you'd have to take some action to convert it from PPRC secondary to some other state that MVS can then bring it online, and then you'd have to re-IPL all your systems so that you're now, instead of pointing to RS1 disk, you're pointing to RS2 disk, big outage. So one of the strengths of GDPS is that it coordinates with iOS so that either for planned or unplanned uh, triggers, we can invoke something called hyperswap. So now MVS already has, we, we have physically two copies of the data. MVS has UCBs, one for each instance of the data. So there are UCBs for RS1, there are UCBs for RS2. But I don't want the applications to have to take any action to reflect that RS1 is not good anymore. We want to use RS2. So we do hyperswap. So what hyperswap is, uh, it's a multi-phase operation. So the first phase, GDPS sends out a signal to all of its peers and says, can you do a hyperswap? Everybody comes back and we say, yeah, yeah, we can do hyperswap. <laughs> and then GDPS says, okay, before we do the hyperswap, though, we don't want to lose any IOs. So stop doing your IOs. <clears throat> so we, um, oh, we do another 
function called freeze. And that's really important, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. So we all stop our IOs. That's uh, iOS setting the, the UCB level really high. So application IOs can't go through anymore, but system IOs can. Uh-huh. Okay. And then GDPS sends out a signal to all the systems and says, okay, now swap your UCBs. So we have an interface with iOS where iOS knows about the, the swap arrays. So we know these are all the RS1s, these are all the RS2s. And iOS flips, swaps the contents of the UCBs. So the UCB that used to point to RS1 disk is now pointing to RS2 disk. And the UCB that was pointing to RS2 disk is now pointing to RS1 disk. What that means is that the application doesn't need to do anything because you're still pointing to that UCB, and now under the covers, the UCB is pointing to the, the new disk or the, the primary disk again. Right. Okay. So then after the swap, then we can let the IOs again, and now we can continue running. So a hyperswap, which even in large configurations – uh, doesn't the we call it the user impact time? So that's the time from when we do the setting of the I/O to really high, so the applications can't do I/O, to then we resume it again. Um, so and GDPS will always report that at, after a planned or unplanned hyperswap. So the user impact time is usually just seconds, like up to ten seconds. So the application we, we talked uh, on the other uh, interview with uh, Mark Brooks, the, the application has to be Sysplex aware. It doesn't have to be GDPS aware. We don't don't tell this to Mark Brooks. We don't even need Sysplex. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so we just we just need applications um, that are updating common disk. Um, so the applications can have all the single point of failures that they want. They don't have to exploit data sharing. The requirement is that all the systems are in the same sysplex, but you can be in a sysplex but not exploit parallel sysplex. Right? Got it. Another distinction there. All right. So because this is – it it requires a sysplex, is this something that it, um, GDPS only benefits uh, ZOS, MVS images, or can Linux benefit from it as well and the others? We um, – Okay, so this is where it's going to be... some angry emails from that. <laughs> the others. <laughs> what do you mean the others? <laughs> so this is where it... it, it so we've, we've always been talking... So far, we've always been talking about GDPS Metro. Okay, right, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so the mirroring in GDPS Metro is done by the disk subsystem itself. Right. And then for the most part, traditionally, all of the systems had to be within the same sysplex. The scope of the... The, the, the coverage for GDPS was the Sysplex, and everybody in the Sysplex had to run, has to run NetView system automation with the GDPS code. <clears throat> That's the fun stuff that the guys in Bentonville get to type, yes. and they just watch everything migrate from one thing to the next while the other people spend all night fixing their stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to the uh, – so we, there, are, there, are, there are additional capabilities. So we can manage um, Linux – either native or running under ZVM, ZVM. So we can do their disk in either CKD or fixed block hmm. because the mirroring is done by the disk subsystem itself. Right? So nothing, we don't need an MVS component uh, that's aware of the type of IOs because right. the IOs are being mirrored by the, by the disk subsystem. It's literally just watching fragments go out to the disk. For the for the we call it XDR, 
So for the support for Linux and or native or on ZVM, we need a piece of comp componentry from system automation that's running in a proxy system in the Linux environment mm -hmm. that we can then interact with. Oh, so that's how you issue the the freeze and all that stuff. Yeah, and and the swap and the coordination of that. Yep. Okay. So we do support native Linux and Linux on uh, VM. And then in addition, some people, um, some installations have small systems that use the same disk as their big parallel sysplexes, and they don't want to incorporate the little system into the big parallel sysplex. So it can be challenging to incorporate a system into a sysplex just for pricing reasons. Sounds like they're bullies. <laughs> Us or the customers? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, want, they want the little guys join in on, the, on all the fun. It's we a, tend to personify things. <laughs> I, I kind of do that too. It's, it's a yeah. money thing. It's a money thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't really get into the pricing, but yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it can be a challenge. So we have support for what we call ZOS proxies. And uh, it's kind of like the old days with GRS. And I'm looking at you because you have more gray hair than he does. <laughs> <laughs> Viewers will know which person is disappointing. <laughs> I'm glad I came today. <laughs> so years ago, um, before we had the coupling facility, GRS had its own CTCs because we needed the ability to pass, GRS needed the ability to pass information about NQs and DQs around all the members within the sysplex. So this is before parallel sysplex. Just as a quick side note, what makes a sysplex into parallel sysplex is that we have a CF. Okay. So before we had the CF, but we still had the ability of coupling systems together, that connectivity was through CTCs. GDPS, when we first came out, uh, for Metro, um, we're communicating amongst everybody. We use uh, XCF signaling. Uh, which Mark talked about in the previous podcast. But now we want to introduce these other systems into a GDPS-managed environment. So these little guys want to play with their big brothers. But they're not part of the sysplex, but we need to communicate with them. So if they're going to hyperswap with us, we need to be able to send the signals for all, their, all of those phases over to this other MVS system. So we have support. This, uh, it's called the ZOS proxy. But you need a dedicated CTC from a GDPS system over to uh, an auxiliary address space, a worker address space that runs on the little guy. And that little guy uses the CTCs to communicate back with the big guys. And then the little guy will interact with iOS just like a, a normal MVS system would. It allows for the scope of the GDPS mirroring management to be larger than just a sysplex. Mm -hmm. But it requires a little bit more setup. So, so these these channel channel connections, um, <clears throat> do they? I mean, are they real? Uh, I have to define them in the hardware, or can it be done virtually? Mm. Uh, no, it's a, it's a real physical connection. Okay. So you need the the physical cable. Yeah. But, but this is kind of important because I'm, and yes, I'm I'm a, a little bit older. Um, and when I thought of GDPS, I always thought of it as um, of a cisplex thing that you had to be part of. And, um, and kind of the message that you're bringing here is I can get the advantage of this without even 
you know, setting up my applications to do data sharing or anything like that. It's correct. It's something I can just take advantage of. What it, it the one of the strengths with HyperSwap is it removes the disk as a single point of failure. And whether that disk is being used for data sharing or not, it doesn't matter, right? I, I'm still extending or removing what is traditionally a, a huge single point of failure within a parallel sysplex. Yeah. Can we talk about the uh, the GD part of GDPS? So uh, my understanding is that there, there comes a certain physical distance between sites where you can no longer carry out a reliable synchronous connection. Um, can you talk about like what a, a typical installation might look like that uses GDPS for multi-site um, installations? Uh, Without getting too specific. <laughs> <laughs> a hypothetical company. Yes. Well, well there are physical limitations. Um, so, and I always get the numbers wrong. I should have looked this up before coming. But there's a physical limitation between the connectivity between KECs. And I think that's... 100 or 200K? Okay. I think it's 200K. Oh. So you can only put them 200K apart, so like 120 miles. And then the disk can go up to 300K. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So now within GDPS uh, terminology, we have different configurations that people deploy. So one of them is called a single site workload. So all of your production images would be physically in server site one, and you have disk, so replication site one, and then the remote disk, replication site two, can be up to like 300K away. Since all of my production images are accessing the primary disk, uh, I'm just suffering the latency of the 300K for the writes. Uh -huh. And nothing, can't, can't do anything about that. Then um, some people, but if I lose everything in site one, uh, I have to re-IPL things in site two. Mm -hmm. right, so there's going to be an, out, uh, an outage. Um, but we have another configuration that's called multi-site workload where I have some production images in site one. I have other production images actually in site two. But production images in site two, when they do a write, they first have to send their update to, they're in site two, but they have to send the write because all the mirroring has to be in the same direction. I can't update some disk from site one to site two and other disk from site two to site one that's in the same uh, consistency group that GDPS is managing. So for systems that are running in site two that are going to update the disk, the write first has to come over to site one. The disk subsystem then has to send the update back over to site two. Site two has to send back to site one that the update's complete, then the site one disk can send back to site two, update is complete. Uh -huh. right? So there's a lot more latency, delays due to latency. So before people put disk at distance and, and their servers at distance, we always strongly recommend that you do a performance study because we can predict what's going to happen to the response time for the IOs but that can have a cascading effect for everything else because now your DB2 transaction that's doing 10 IOs under a lock, that transaction is holding that lock longer. So is that the fact that that lock is being held longer going to impact other transactions that are trying to come through, right? So it depends on the nature of the application. 
So that's kind of, that's why it's a bit of a challenge sometimes to predict what the overall impact to performance is going to be when you start putting things at distance. Right. It doesn't just put it the initial lag time behind. It cascades and backs everything up. Could potentially. Could potentially. Right. It, it depends on the nature of the application. Right. And how many writes you're doing, and how much? What's the update write, uh, read to up write ratio, and how much activity with the CF? Is, is involved and where your CFs are located? Are you doing CF duplexing? Things like that. I always thought yeah. it was interesting the way that uh, we do the testing for this in the in the lab to simulate distances. Do you uh, still use that? Oh, uh, no. We had to get rid of it. Oh, no. <laughs> used to be this great suitcase full of cable. This is big, long loops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a distance simulator, right? So, and uh, we used to have DWDMs. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. those are ways of uh, consolidating all the, the dark fiber that you need for cross-site connectivity. So you would get all the links on one side and you connect them to a DWDM and the other side, they're spraying out to the other uh, component tree. But between the DWDMs, you just need a couple of cables, right? Because they, I don't know, through the, through the magic of sharing cables with different frequencies of light. Um, and then between our DWDMs, that's where we used to have the fiber suitcase. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but our DWDMs went out of service, so it's like, ugh, we had to get rid of them. <laughs> so we're direct connect now. Yeah. Just loops around the building a couple of times. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> is that what that is? Huh. So let, let's say I get hired into a company, um, you know, either as like a, an apprentice as prog or maybe I'm a co-op program or something like that. And uh, I, I've heard talk of you know, GDPS, disaster recovery, something like that going on in the hallway. Um, and I've, I've listened to this podcast. I am now very interested in this. What can I, like, you know, do short of trying to trigger a response because it sounds like a whole lot of fun um, <laughs> to, to, like, learn more about my environment or, you know, to, you know, code my application to be better citizens? Huh. That's an interesting question. Um, for the application... Since we don't even require data sharing, I would say as the application developer, um, just normal good coding techniques, right, to avoid deadlocks and other performance-related issues, right. Uh, but in, in terms of being able to take care, uh, take advantage of hyper, you know, the, the, to be a benefit of hyperswap or uh, being able to restart remotely, in, in the case of a site outage. I don't think it's any different than if you weren't doing anything, right? Because that is a good application. Let's say you're not doing disk mirroring, but even today your site can have a power outage. Mm -hmm. Everything goes down, and then eventually the power is restored. Everything comes up. Well, your application better be able to restart. Yeah, right? and and that's the strength of DB2 with its and 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 Kicks and IMS. I mean, they do have the transaction logs, so that before they make an update. They do the before image, and they know when something's committed, so they don't need that before image anymore. So if you're doing something outside of one of the traditional database managers, um, that'd be incumbent upon you to make sure that your application can restart. Yeah, and is is there is there a fundamental difference in the way that stuff gets handled in a planned migration or outage versus a uh, all hands on deck, something crazy is going on kind of kind of thing? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, in terms of the overall length of the outage, uh, I would actually say the plans are longer. Oh, really? Because in a plan, you're doing a clean shutdown. Yeah, but well, it I usually mean, takes at, longer at the expense of uh, <laughs> at the expense of consistency, I guess. Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll guarantee consistency. Uh huh. 
Uh, you're not going to have inconsistent data. Uh, we didn't talk about this yet, but that's that's the um, purpose of. You know, we're only talking about Metro. Um, so within Metro, one of the first things, the first thing that GDPS does whenever it gets a trigger, or even for a planned event, um, we perform a freeze. Yeah, and that stops all the mirroring at the same time. Yeah. The reason that's critical is you need to ensure that the version or the copy of the data, we'll say in RS2, is time consistent. If you don't stop all the mirroring exactly at the same time and you allow some updates to keep going between two DSAKs and you stop the IOs and different DSAKs, so your data in, in RS2 is now not time consistent, uh, and then you have a complete outage in site one, and now you need to use that data in the site too, it's garbage, right? right? I'll have updates in a DB2 log that indicate a transaction completed, but the actual update to the table never got mirrored over. So that's why one of the, the first thing that GDPS does in response to a trigger is we issue the freeze, we stop all the mirroring, we make sure that the disk in RS, in RS2 is time consistent, and then you don't have to worry about consistency so that everything that happens after that is working off of the same version and some some customers put more importance on having multiple copies of the data over data availability can you kind of spell that out yeah so, 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 <laughs> so we'll expound upon that that's talk right we much. have extra microphones too. <laughs> talk too much with my hands um so there are two different types of triggers in a GDPS uh, metro environment. We can have triggers where I just can't mirror. The update from RS1 is not making it over to RS2. So that's a mirroring. That's a PPRC problem. Then we also have triggers where a host or a ZOS image can't get to the RS1 disk. So that's a primary access problem. For either one, we'll always do a freeze to make sure RS2 is time consistent. Because DGPS doesn't know, I mean, a, a disaster usually doesn't happen to everything all at once. Right. They, they, uh -huh. they usually roll across. So when we get the first trigger, we want to make sure that we have time consistent data over in RS2. Then based on policy, so we give the customers a policy for PPRC failures, and we give customers a policy for primary failures. So based on the customer specification, they can either stop. So there's a mirroring problem. They always want to have two copies of the data that are exactly the same. The mirror is not good. Well, then if you value having two copies over application availability, you would code stop. So GDPS, after it does a freeze, would take down all the production systems. Let you figure out what's happening with the mirror. You restore it. And then you have to re-IP all your systems again. Right. And that way the applications, they're not in a confused state. They know exactly what happened, <clears throat> what didn't happen. I would say more your disk is exactly the same right. in RS1 yes. and RS2. Yeah. Right. Now, some people think they want that until <laughs> <laughs> the first time they get a freeze trigger and then all their production systems are brought down. I said, oh, this isn't good. We had, I don't want we that had, either. Right. So we allow you to, the other, instead of stop, the other option is go. So hmm. after, if the mirror is, let's say, is intact, and then we get an indication that a write or more 
uh, couldn't get mirrored. So GDPS does the freeze. We make sure everything in RS2 is time consistent. But now you say go. So we allow the IOs to RS1. So all the production systems are still up and running. My RS2 disk was at time N. And my RS1 disk is now at N plus 1, N plus 2. And I continue running. Mm -hmm. So now let's just say it was a temporary, just a temporary mirroring problem. We restore the mirror, we restore, we fix whatever that cable was, let's say that that was bad. Um, and now we tell GDPS to resync. So I just need to copy over the tracks that changed since I did the freeze, right? I don't have to do full lame copies. However, on the other hand, RS1 is going to N plus one, N plus two, N plus three, and then RS1 craps out. Right, well. <laughs> now I've got two bad copies. No, they're not. RS2 is good. It's time oh. consistent at N. Right. Right no. at N. Okay. All the new data. Up to N.3, that could be lost. Right. Right. <clears throat> so that's the, 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 the trade-off. That's when you're, when you're deploying this, you have to decide which freeze policy do I want. Similarly, sort of, um, for the policy for primary access, um, some people, even though GDPS has it, and you can do hyperswap, uh, some people don't want that. They just, we, we still give them the options of just go. You got an IOR, you can't get to disk 2000. All right, we'll just keep going. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so you can do go uh, or you can do stop. You can't get to a single volume. Okay, we're going to stop everything. Mm. Um, or you can do the hyperswap option, so swap. So if you can't get to disk 2000, well, okay, let's go over. We'll hyperswap and go to RS2 disk. So, so that's a... When I do that swap, mm -hmm. everything has to move, not just that one. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. For both planned and even unplanned events. Even if I only have problems with one device, the entire consistency group, so all of, all of, all of my mirrored disks get swapped at the same time. Yeah. So that's not trivial either. In what we're... Um, well, I've, I've, one device is gone. Yeah, I've yeah. got one cable that a mouse is starting to shoe through, yeah. and now I have to move all of my production workloads over to site two. Yep. But that's better than... Than not being able to update right. that device that's getting chewed on. <laughs> yeah. I'm also picturing Johnny from Airplane when all the lights on the runway goes out. And he's, oh, just kidding. Just he plugs kidding. Him back in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if you've thought about this. We we hit on a whole lot of acronyms today. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Th this, th but it's good. This is a, this is a tech heavy episode. I like this. Um, you know, in Z, we are all about efficiency, and one of the ways that we gain efficiency is through acronyms. And this yep. is a rare four letter one. Have you ever given thought to just how much time you save by saying <laughs> GDPS instead of? Well, now I learned it's not geographically dispersed parallel syslex. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going, and I counted this out, you're going from 39 letters, 42 if you count spaces, down to four. That's a compression ratio of nine and three quarters to one. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah. I so got... what are you going to do with all that extra time you have now that you used I, all those acronyms? I think I need to file. Do we still have them, the efficiency? There uh, you go. Yeah, I need to file one of those things. <laughs> this episode would have been 10 minutes longer without the use of acronyms, <laughs> is what I'm getting at. I mean, LSS, XCF. CTC. Right. We've used a lot of them. CF. GRS. Know, GRS. We didn't actually say anything about G What is GRS? 
Uh, global resource serialization. Yeah. So it's the way of ensuring that it's, a, it's basically just a convention uh, within MVS so that different uh, a component that runs on multiple, either within the single or multiple systems, because it depends on the scope of what you're trying to serialize, um, so that you can guarantee that you own a logical construct that protects either a logical or physical resource. So it's just um, a predefined mechanism to ensure that two or two people aren't trying to update something at the same time. So the this is from years ago when I took uh, SPT uh, when What's our that? teachers system programmer. programmer development training. Okay. Oh, I'm even older. Just system programmer training. training we, didn't, we didn't even get a D. <laughs> <laughs> so the way uh, the the example he used for serialization was the bathroom, right? There's some functions where you can tolerate multiple uses, like if everybody's brushing their teeth. <laughs> I'm just going to hover my hand over the mute button. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but there's some functions where you want single use. <laughs> Moving right along. Very nicely done. <laughs> and I know we're running a little long, but I, we've been talking about Metro. Yep. What are some of the and other, one flavor of the metro. metro, right? So, what are some of the other ways this can be used? So, within Metro, um, what we've been talking about is called single lake, because hmm. I have RS one disk, I only have one source, and I have RS two RS two disk, only one target. Uh, the disk subsystem and GDPS in GDPS Metro also support what's called multi-target. So from a given source, from RS1, I can have two targets for my PPRC mirroring. So every time I update RS1, this subsystem sends that update over to RS2 and to RS3. So now I have three copies of the disk. And what some customers do with this type of deployment is they keep one version of the disk really close to RS1, um, a, a little bit sheltered maybe, like maybe on the other side of the, the site, or but not, not very far away. Um, and then that provides the high availability for the RS1 disk. So if it craps out, I just hyperswamp over to RS2, and then I still have the other disk, RS3, that's at distance. And then that RS3 at distance gives me a little bit more, instead of just a, a local area disaster, it gives me more like, a, it can give me more of a regional right. coverage. So that, that's uh, Metro. At a very high level. Um, but those that those Metro is based on the synchronous mirroring. Mm -hmm. um, that's key, right? That's key. But now that we have uh, two other flavors um, that are based on asynchronous mirroring. So one of them is called XRC, so extended remote copy. And the other one, excuse me, is called global mirror. So XRC. So in XRC, it's a asynchronous uh, data mirroring technique, and this time the mirroring is done by an address space called the SDM, which runs on MVS or ZOS. So that means we can only mirror uh, ZOS data. You can't mirror uh, fixed block Linux type data. And the way the mirroring is done is the SDM has connectivity to the disk in RS1. It sucks up the changes from when it was last there, and then within buffers, in its address space over in, in the recovery site, it forms a consistency group once all the SDMs get to data, let's say, at time N, and then it writes out those buffers to the disk in RS2, and then as soon as it finishes writing the disk in RS2, it can then 
go back to the disk in RS1, says what's changed since I've last been here, form the consistency group in the buffers, and then write it out. Um, and in here, GDPS can't really react to a trigger in RS1. The operator in the disaster site needs to initiate the recover, right? Oh, okay. Because it's not really going to get an alert that says, you know, RS1, just because I'm not getting any data doesn't necessarily mean that RS1 crapped out. Right. right? So right. the operator is going to have to initiate the, the action. Some of it can't be, uh, be planned. So, so what some customers are doing is that they, they uh, bring together the synchronous and the asynchronous solutions. So I do the synchronous solution to provide high availability for the disk. So it's not a single point of failure in my RS1. And that provides uh, local coverage. But then just in case uh, something might knock out all of my RS1, I'll mirror, mirror, oof, marry. <laughs> that's another word. I was going for marry. I'll marry the synchronous <laughs> with the asynchronous. So I have yet another version of the data far away. So this is the near, near, far. Uh -huh. so, so sometimes um, we refer to them as sites, but it's really how many copies of the data do I have? So when I'm just doing local replication, that's like a two-site solution. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing near, near, far, that's a three-site solution. But what some people then do because there are regulatory requirements where uh, banks are dictated that if you do have, you have a, you have to have a DR site and you have to run your DR site for a certain amount of time every year to prove that it's functional. Well, when I'm running the DR site, if I only have one copy of the disk, and that's not too good. Yeah. So people do, some people are doing what we call foresight solution. So you do local mirroring in site one. That's a clever play on words too. <laughs> foresight. <laughs> wow I fresh eyes bring a new perspective <laughs> never, never even thought about that one before I like that one um, and then once I get they do long distance asynchronous mirroring uh, over to the site to the DR site and then when they're in the DR site they also do mirroring local mirroring again so that the disk isn't a single point of failure and, and just something to to point out is that when I'm doing local mirroring, because it's synchronous, I could have zero data loss, depending on what policy option I code. Uh, but when you're doing asynchronous, you're always going to have some potential for data loss, because anything that was in flight at the time of disaster, well, it's not going to get there. Right? So you have to be able to tolerate that. All right. Now, just as a cliffhanger. Oh, <laughs> wow. So we always talk about these different flavors of GDPS. And these are the flavors that are built on the classic um, data mirroring technologies. Right. So we have GDPS that's built on Metro. We have GDPS that's built on XRC. We have GDPS that's built on GM. We have the three-site and four-site versions of that. But there's a completely different, I always hate when people use this word, paradigm shift. <laughs> so instead of just mirroring the disk that way, we have yet another solution that's called GDPS Continuous Availability. And it's a very different beast. And it sounds like that would be a, a good, good follow-up follow -up episode. Because right now we're way beyond uh, <laughs> our usual length. We're about to watch this odometer roll over. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity. Thanks. Thank you, Steve, for coming. Um, again, we need to, to come back and and talk about this other stuff. My pleasure. Uh, meantime, old man Charlie, run us out. 
You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.